This is the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. For Thursday, July 25th, 2019. Yeah, yeah. Class of 1967. Mm-hmm. On today's program, Adam's over there. I'm over here. Hello. I'm Nico over here. Yep. We host this podcast. We're still here. Still alive and kicking. Unfortunately. You want to just start with Lion King real quick? Oh, God. <laughs> what? I just want to hear about it. Can you tell me about no, it? Like, just tell me what, about Lion King. What do, you want to, what do you want me to say about the Lion King? I want to know everything. You already know everything about the Lion King. I want to know as much about this movie without having to see this movie. Is that possible? You've already seen the fucking movie. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? So it's just the same movie, yes. just less interesting, right? Yeah. That's basically it. Yes. Tremendously less interesting. C. You get a solid C grade. That's that's my that's my final review of the movie. You're giving Lion King a C? Mm-hmm. That's harsh, bro. No, it's not. Wow. <laughs> not at all, actually. What did you not like about it? What did I not like about it? Yeah. There's like significantly less development with with these characters I noticed. Like I don't know what it is, but something about the way the movie moves, like nothing feels kind of earned. In wow. the same way that the original one is. Wow. So, like, a lot of scenes fall flat for that reason, especially, like, the, the scene where Mufasa comes out of the sky. Right. It's like, oh, that was anticlimactic, whereas and I, I remember being far more, like, like heart-wrenching and, and powerful in the original. Yeah. And another big issue is the fact that, I mean, I'm, I'll just say, it should not have been remade in the first place. We know that. But doing it, quote-unquote, live action or at least photorealistic doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work for this story, and it was m- more than evident w- in the scene with um, uh, where M- Mufasa actually dies. Yeah, like like, and this is a common complaint. I'm not the only person who has said this, but it is a serious problem that there's like next to no emotion with your characters. Sure, you're I- just watching Planet Earth. Yes, except Planet Earth is only interesting because it's real. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you take that away, it's like no one wants to see a scripted Planet Earth, mm-hmm. right? And I, that's the beauty of animation, yeah. and that's one of the things that we're sort of losing over the years when we're looking for more realistic storytelling, realistic filmmaking, whatever the hell that means. I know. Like, I don't know why that's the goal, but now that Disney has made it explicit, they want to start doing more live action stuff. You're sort of losing the charm of those original movies. They're cartoons. And the thing about those, they were really good cartoons, but they allowed themselves to be cartoons. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastical. There's a lot of room to be creative and fun. And you can't do almost any of that when playing within those guidelines. I mean, when you make everything photorealistic, there there are certain principles to abide by. So if something like be prepared happens with how crazy and outrageous that musical number is you just you can't do it yeah which is why the be prepared number in this sucks yeah like flat out isn't good yeah that's the thing it's like you're trying to make the animals look realistic but you're also allowing them to sing yeah it's It's like like, and talk right and like who cares how realistic the animals look there's literally a segment you know you know when uh, timon and puma uh, present themselves to the hyenas right they make a reference to beauty and the beast in that segment okay and that was not in the original film i don't think so yeah they say um uh be our guest and then it's cut off and then they run away okay and i'm like He's about to start singing Be Our Guests. And I'm like, okay, wow. <laughs> I, I can say that Timon and Puma are really good in this, but they're kind of just as good as they were in the original. So, like, I don't... I saw some side-by-side comparison. It's the only bit of footage I've seen from The Lion King. And it's the new Akuna Matata song number and then the old one, and they're juxtaposed. And, like, in the original movie, you have 
Simba flipping off of waterfalls and diving into the yeah. into the lake and he's swinging from vines and there's a lot of color and a lot of contrast and in this new version at least the clip that I saw it's just Timon Pumbaa and Simba walking in a straight line <laughs> pretty much <laughs> just singing the song and here's our our land kid let's eat some grubs and that's that's it which is like Ugh, it, the same script, same song, same characters, just less expressive. Yeah. I don't care. But here's the thing, though. I didn't feel that way about the Jungle Book remake. No. A lot of that is, is uh, it's, it's, it's elevated by the fact that you have the human character right. tremendously. But they do something relatively fresh with that story. Like, it's clearly the Jungle Book, but it also feels like its own movie. Yeah. Like, very clearly its own movie. Because they take a lot of, like, different avenues with uh, the Jungle Book remake. Yeah. And it separates itself. And in a lot of ways, I think it's better than that original. I do, too. I like the, the remake a lot more, actually. Right. I think you're right. The one human character makes a difference. It does. Actually, no. a pretty big difference. You, you can you can connect to it the way that he does, right. which I like quite a bit. And a lo- also, I have to mention that a lot of the... The, the emotional range of the characters in the Jungle Book is not quite as varied as uh, the Lion King. Right. We're not as dependent on them in that way, so it kind of works. Right. They can get away with a lot more in that way. And yeah, in this, it's just... It, it's it's a problem when... Uh, I mean... I mean, I was watching it, and then we, we when, when Abby and I saw it when we came out, even she was like, I didn't like that first half. And I was like, whoa. When the first half is like the best part of the original movie. Yeah. It's like, I did not like it. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. She's like, yeah, it didn't start to get entertaining until Timon and Puma came around. And I'm like, yeah, but even then I can kind of criticize it because it's essentially the same shtick. Ugh. Well, that makes me feel dirty. Yeah. I'm upset you said that. Well, it's un- <laughs> it's unfortunate because like if you... Take it for what it is on a scene by scene basis. If I can, Jesus, if I can dis- disassociate it with the original Lion King, which is fucking impossible. Which you can't do. But in a hypothetical scenario where I could, I mean, it's technically very impressive. And I don't just mean like visually, I just mean like sound is great. The way the camera moves in a scene is great. You know, the sort of the, the direction is very on point for the most part. I mean, it's not like bad. In quotes, right? But it's it's sort of a troubling movie with what it chooses to be ultimately, and unnecessary. Uh, yeah, yeah, is the other thing. Well, that's too bad. Well, there's your review of the Lion King, everyone. Oh, and I also want to say voice performances are kind of oh no, really like really like distracting. I didn't like I didn't like Beyonce. I didn't like Donald Glover. I didn't like. Uh, I really didn't like uh, Chidwell Ejiofor as Scar. Really, Bad. like it was probably the worst thing about the movie. Wow, I just like. What were you thinking, dude? Like, wow! Like you're supposed to have fun with this character, and this, he's probably the best actor in the bunch, right? He's a great, yeah, probably, yeah, gotta I mean, be, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a great character too. It's like you're supposed to be like having a ball with this, and it maybe it's just because they went with like the dark, gritty, epic direction that he just wasn't allowed to do it. But I mean, Scar is so forgettable in this. He's almost like an afterthought. <sighs> it really sucked. And uh, I mean, uh, Billy Eichner is awesome. That's Timon. Yeah, and Seth Rogen is pretty good as well. Yeah, he's I, Pumba. Yeah, that's. I guess that's the the biggest like praise I can give it is Timon and Puma, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner together. It's pretty good. Okay, I like that. So you can. But let's be honest, Billy Eichner is no Nathan Lane. No, please, <laughs> no. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Um, let's let's move on to the featured attraction, shall we? Well, I also have to mention Rucker Howard died. Oh, that just happened today, didn't it? Very upset about it too. Me personally. Blade Runner. Yep. 
that's what most would know him from, right? Blade Runner, Hitcher, maybe Batman Begins. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. He is in Batman Begins. Yeah. And, of course, Hobo with a Shotgun, which we just talked about, kind of. <laughs> we did on the other podcast. Yeah. Rutger Hauer, 75 years old. Yeah. I almost choked up a little bit thinking about the... Uh, actually, did choke up a bit when he... I, I was playing the Tears and Rain monologue in my head, and he says, time to die. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, it's time to die today, Rutger. Yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Let's talk about the year 1967, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. We are inducting a movie into the Hall of Fame this week. One movie. But just one of them. Just one movie. It will be one of these six. Yeah. Guess who's coming to dinner? Cool Hand Luke. The Dirty Dozen, The Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde, and In the Heat of the Night. Mm-hmm. Only one gets in, baby. Only one. And that's fine. That's okay. Although, there are some good ones on this list. It's a good year. This is a, it's, as a matter of fact, I don't think there's a single questionable movie on this list. I think they're all kind of great. There's one, in my opinion, that's lesser than the others. But for the most part, these are all, like at the very least, very good I have some hot takes on some of these movies. Oh, yeah? I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I have some hot takes. We'll get there. Okay. But I agree with you for the most part. This is an awesome list. Yep. I think there is one obvious choice. Me too. Um, we'll get to that at the end of the program. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to keep up the charade <laughs> because the two of us have our minds made up already, but we're still going to spend an hour and a half talking about six good movies. It's, it's, I was going to say, it's just nice to talk about some some movies, you know, even though, yeah, we're clearly, it's it's like, this is one of those years where it's like, okay, guys, you, like, you don't have to, f- you know, fool with us. We know exactly which one you're going to go with, which one everybody would go with. Is yeah. that a problem? Yeah, man. It's not, it's no problem at all. Yeah. It's no, listen, guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> Is by far and away the best movie this year, <laughs> and I'll just save you the tr- trouble right now. Just who's coming to dinner's the best. All right, <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute. Mm-hmm. Highest grossing movie of that year. What is it, Adam? Uh, what's the highest grossing? Uh, Bonnie and Klein? The Graduate. Is it? Yes. Wow. Ooh. Cool. Hundred million dollars in nineteen sixty-seven. It made a hundred million dollars. Yes, it did. Holy shit. Yep. <laughs> Wow. Right ahead of The Jungle Book, which we just talked about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guess who's coming to dinner at three? Bonnie and Clyde at four, and The Dirty Dozen at five. All right. Interesting year for the Oscars. I want to spend a lot of time talking about the Oscars today. Okay. Because somehow the Oscars made even less sense in 1967. What did they do wrong this time? It's not that they didn't do anything right. I mean, they did some stuff right, but okay. All right. Um, it was just a tad inconsistent. All right. So, okay, best picture goes to In the Heat of the Night. Among a great yes. group of nominees, you have that, you have Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle uh, gets a best picture nomination. Okay. The Graduate and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, however, Mike Nichols takes home best director. Good. Correct choice. Yes. I, I, I'm just not sure, like, if that's the best directed movie, how it's not the best movie as well, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It would be weirder if The Graduate was, was not nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Those are the strange ones where it's like it gets, especially like when it gets nominated for Best Picture but not Best Director, that as well kind of confuses me. Right. Like like I will never forgive the Academy for Jaws. It makes yeah. no fucking sense to me. We'll talk about that in a second. Best Actor goes to Rod Steiger for In the Heat of the Night. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn wins Best Actress for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. 
George Kennedy wins Best Supporting Actor for Cool Hand Luke. And Estelle Parsons wins Best Supporting Actress for Bonnie and Clyde. We will be talking about all of those performances in just a few minutes. So stay tuned. Here's what else we got. National Film Registry. Okay. Here are your inductees. Bonnie and Clyde, Cool Hand Luke. The Graduate, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in the Heat of the Night. They did not include the Dirty Dozen. Mm -hmm. Instead, they have Point Blank, another Lee Marvin action film. Okay. They also have In Cold Blood. Oh, oh, okay. Interesting. And a movie I've never heard of called David Holtzman's Diary. All right. Yeah, the National Film Registry goes outside the box quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Here are your honorable mentions. Casino Royale. Not the... (laughs) Sean Connery, Casino Royale. No, the Casino Royale. This is the one that <laughs> everyone should be looking to. Have you seen this movie? I've not. <laughs> would I love it? <laughs> yes, you would love it. <laughs> it's Peter Sellers <laughs> and Woody Allen. Oh yes, you have. N- Why have it? Fuck. This is. It's. Oh my god. It's so wise. This a thing. Literally. <laughs> I've never seen anything so glorious as Peter Sellers acting opposite Orson Welles. It's amazing. That movie makes no fucking sense. I must do this movie. We have to do it when Zach comes back. Yes. Oh, he's. We got to talk Bond. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. It's amazing. As I said, the original Dr. Doolittle, Jungle Book, which could have got on the list, but we decided to go with the more classical choices. Mm-hmm. Point Blank, Valley of the Dolls came out that year. Oh, okay. Interesting. You Only Live Twice, the actual James Bond movie from 1967? Yeah, whatever. Um, You wanted to nominate the producers, but there was some controversy that was actually released in 68. So strike that from the record. And uh, a little Audrey Hepburn movie called Two for the Road, which I have not seen, but I've heard is awesome. And it seems like my cup of tea. Not seen it either. So that is what I decided to uh, honor as honorable mentions. Okay. Good. Here we go. Let's begin with a movie. That both of us watched for the first time this week. Yep. The obvious inductee. Guess who's coming to dinner? The obvious inductee. <laughs> hey, well, we, we made the decision. We wanted to see a movie. Yeah. And I'm happy we made this decision, I think. Directed by Stanley Kramer, starring Spencer Tracy, Sidney Potier, Catherine Houghton, and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, I guess Catherine Houghton's aunt, Catherine Hepburn. I believe that's her niece in real life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple's attitudes are challenged when their daughter introduces them to her African-American fiancé. One Best Actress for Katherine Hepburn and Best Screenplay at the Academy Awards. Also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. Wow, interesting. That's a big one. I think it's kind of surprising. Number 58 on AFI's all-time passions list of best love stories. Number 35 on their cheers list of inspirational movies. And the number 99 movie of all time, according to the American Film Institute. Hmm. You watched this for the first time. What were your thoughts? I kind of came out of it and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. That That was very good. I liked that. That was a solid, solid little movie. I don't think I, it's without reservations on on my side. Neither on my side. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I think for what it is, it's it's pretty good. I, 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 it's an, it's another movie where a lot of it is elevated by the performances. Mm. I think the thematic 
elements are I, I I don't know. Maybe it's the time we live in. Yeah. But I, I, I came at it with a point of view where I'm like, this is it dated? Oh, it's very dated. Okay, thank you. Yeah, there's no question it's dated. Okay. Um, it's kind of weird. It's a movie about interracial marriage, mm-hmm. and it's in 1967. So at that point, when the movie was being filmed... Interracial marriage, sorry, interracial marriage was illegal in 17 states. It wasn't until June 12, 1967, Loving versus Virginia, the Supreme Court case struck down all laws that were banning interracial marriage. So it's important to note that it was still a controversial idea in 1967, and the movie was groundbreaking and very important for its time. And so it's important to look at it through that lens. We can't always... This is a problem that a lot of critics and a lot of just people on the internet in general Mm -hmm. make. They look at the social commentary of the time through the lens of today. And our thoughts on race have evolved so much over the years. It's impossible for it to hold up. Of course the thing is going to come across as dated. Yeah, I would say that it's fairly Mm well-intentioned. I don't think they made any sort of obvious mistakes or mistakes that would be like, yo, we have to cancel Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You know, we gotta, we have to uh, reserve cancel. it to the, to the trash bin of history. We have to cancel it. We have to stop showing it in schools, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not Pride of a Nation, you know, or, or Death of a Nation. Was it? Uh, Death of a Nation? Uh, birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. <laughs> Death of a Nation. <laughs> Sorry. It's not de- uh, it, it's not Birth of a Nation, right? So it's a little uh, uh, dated. I will say the portrayal of Sidney Poitier's character um, is a little, I won't say one-dimensional, but it's almost like they had to make him the perfect human being in order for his character to be acceptable yeah, to I these know. parents. It's like they couldn't give him any sort of discernible character flaw <laughs> because otherwise you can't give him an out. He has to be the most buttoned up, intelligent, distinguished, loving, affectionate, no temper whatsoever man. Exactly. And it's one of my biggest problems with the movie. Right. Because I couldn't help but think, I was like, okay, interesting idea movie. Why don't we take out this character and just put in a schlub and see how they react? Right. And they would never react that way. Exactly. I was like, ugh, movie, you would have made a much more interesting point had they gotten to the same place that they were at the end of the movie with just a total schlub of a guy. Yes. That would have made a much more interesting statement than some uppity guy who was like, oh, of course, he's, he's, he's going to take care of our daughter because he's got so much money and he's so well established. It's like, okay. I'll put it this way. They made him the most white version of a black man possible. <laughs> right? Ooh, well, no, Nico. but that, that's, that's really, that's what it is. Yeah. They, they didn't allow his character to be black. And I think that's one of the issues. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't allow him to speak in, with a certain dialect. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they had to give him the profession of doctor. Yeah. They had to give the guy a PhD <laughs> who goes to Africa and curing villages of malaria. Saving the world. That's what this yeah. guy does. I mean, you know what I mean? And it, it just feels a little dated to me. Like now you would be able to give that character a lot more depth and yep. a lot more texture. Right. Yeah. I, I just felt like he was, he was, it's weird. I honestly felt like he was kind of underdeveloped, like not explored as much as I expected him to be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not that I don't know who he is in the movie. Like some, like every once in a while, movies come along where there's some, an important character, but at the end of it, I still don't really know who that person is. Mm. Like I get a sense of the guy's personality and everything, and the movie's clearly more about the parent figures sure. than anybody else. 
But I mean, for how integral those characters are to the movie, it's like, eh, I would have wanted them to be a little more interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just think, listen, they were working with the attitudes of the time. Mm-hmm. And you had to include that stuff in the script in order for the story to get its message across. Right? Like, or else people would have rejected the movie. And you miss the point if you cloud his character with any sort of nuance. You yes. miss the point of the movie. It, so it's well-intentioned, I should say. It's a movie that I would actually like to see remade. Well, it has been. It has? Yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. There was a movie called Guess Who that came out in 2005. Really? Do you know who starred in that movie? Uh, I, Denzel Washington. Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac. <laughs> was it a comedy? They reversed the roles. They made the daughter black and the boyfriend white. Okay. And it was just like a very broad comedy, and I'm pretty sure it was a shit movie. I've never seen it. But it was made in 2005. Okay. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> it was then also remade in 2017 when a movie Get Out was released. Pretty much. You texted this to me. It's basically a dramatic version of Get Out. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and that's fine. I think... I Because think, the, the, here's the thing about the movie is that... I think a lot of like those ideas and those prejudices still exist today. Yeah, sure. I know a lot of people who would still have the same issues that these parents. Did. I know many parents that would say that they're okay with it and they yeah, say yes. they're liberal, but then, I mean, listen, I I won't name names, but I have a member of my family that's dating someone of a different race, mm-hmm. and she was met by her older parents with a little bit of apprehension. Yeah, for sure. That shit happens all the time. Yeah, I know. So it's not that that element is dated. There's just something about the the handling of everything else that just seems... It's too on the nose. Yeah. Listen, it's a movie where characters talk about race explicitly. That's what it is, right? So it's more of a dissertation. It's not really a film. Yeah. And it's upsetting because, I I mean, I completely felt that way towards the end, too, where the dad is giving his speech. Yeah. I think uh, Spencer Tracy's performance is wonderful. I think it's the best performance in the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's like, even then, it's like, I couldn't help but think that that ending was just like so saccharine. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, the whole thing's kind of saccharine. So it's like, Jesus. It's more of an important artifact than it is like a great film that holds up. But it's still, I think it's I think fairly it's entertaining. Film. I don't know. No, I don't no. think it's bad either. Um, uh, I'll also mention that this was Spencer Tracy's last movie. Mm-hmm. He died two weeks after filming his final scene. Yep. Uh, Catherine Hepburn never saw the movie before her death because his loss was too difficult to bear. The two, of course, were married. They were an iconic power couple. Um, so that scene where he is speaking to his family in the living room, talking about the love he has for his wife, and Catherine Hepburn is crying in the background, that was very real because the guy was undergoing a lot of medical treatment. He was incredibly sick. And I think they even wrote two versions of the script, one with Tracy's character in it and one without his character really? in it because they thought he could die at any second. Thank God they got him, though. Yeah. No, this is a great performance. It is. You know, it's a good thing to go out on. Yeah. Um, I don't know why Catherine Hepburn won Best Actress, other than the fact that her name is Catherine Hepburn. She's very good in the movie. She's okay. But, I mean, like, she was up against... uh, I'll tell you. Who was she up against? Um, Anne Braincroft for The Graduate. Okay. Faye Dunaway for Bonnie and Clyde. Edith Evans for The Whisperers. And Audrey Hepburn for Wait Until Dark. All right. I would have given it to both Anne Bancroft and probably Faye Dunaway. I, yes. One or the other. Yeah. yeah. I Again, listen, she has four Oscars. <laughs> like, the Academy loves Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. I think she's a little over the top in the movie. 
She's always on the edge of tears, it feels like. That's true, yeah. She's always ready to explode. And, and I'm I, not sure the material calls for that. And I noticed that, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's not bad, though. It's pretty good. There, I didn't like the daughter. I didn't either. I found... I, and here's the thing. It's like... I, I Maybe it's just, it's just me, I guess. And Well, I don't know. I hate naive characters. Right. I hate them. And, like, and I know that's the point, but like every time I see a character that's just this stupid... I'm like, you guys, like, just go fuck yourself. <laughs> was she stupid or was she purposefully acting optimistic? No, she's just an idiot. Like, I, like, I got the sense that she was trying to, um, like, she obviously knew race was going to be an issue, but she yeah. was trying to just no, 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 not will it into existence. Almost. Uh, no, because th- th- that to me, like, makes me think like she's more in denial about the whole thing. Like in the back of her head, she, there's something telling her that this is a bad thing. Right. You know, even though it's not a bad thing. Don't worry, people. <laughs> but but hot take. <laughs> Adam Hall agrees with the parents, and guess who's coming to dinner? No, but like, like to me, I know the, what you mean. The character genuinely like believes is a good thing. She's like, yeah, there will be some bumps, but it'll be fine. It's that kind of attitude, and it's just like, no, go fuck yourself. And there's no line in the movie that I love more than uh, when when Spencer Tracy tells her to shut up because right. I'm just like. Thank you. This may be the last time in my life I can tell you what to do. So please, for the love of God, shut up. <laughs> it's great. It's like, yes. Yeah, I love Spencer Tracy in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a worthy final performance in his yes. filmography. And yeah, a good movie that I would recommend you see. It is like fairly funny. There are some good laughs in it. Yeah. Especially the initial reaction shots <laughs> the, when the parents realize. The reaction shots from Sydney uh, 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 Potier's uh, parents. Yes. Great. Tremendous. I love those two in the movie. Yes. They're they are awesome. so good. The father is so funny. <laughs> His when re- they meet at the airport. It's just mouth is on the floor. It's the funniest shit. <laughs> yeah. And then when Spencer Tracy leaves the table to go golfing and then turns around saying, what the hell is going on? Here? <laughs> what the hell is going on here? It's good stuff. It's quite good. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Solid. Solid movie. Okay. Oh, boy. Mm hmm. Oh, we have a heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. Cool hand, Luke. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Directed by Stuart Rosenberg, written by Don Pierce, mm-hmm. who evidently was a former counterfeiter and safe cracker who wrote about working on a Chang gang in a Florida prison. Mm-hmm. That book was turned into Cool Hand Luke. So a lot of this was loosely based on a true story. It stars, of course, Paul Newman, George Kennedy, and some other names that you might recognize, including Dennis Hopper. Yep. And even a brief appearance by Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Playing the, does he play the banjo or the guitar? I think it's the guitar. I forget. Yeah. It's a great moment. I think he's listed as Dean Stanton in the yeah. credits. He's not Harry Dean Stanton yet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. Uh, a laid-back Southern man is sentenced to two years in a rural prison, but refuses to conform. It won Best Supporting Actor for George Kennedy at the Oscars and was also nominated for Best Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Original Score. Number 30 on AFI's Top 50 Heroes list. Number 71 on their all-time Cheers list. And the number 11 quote of all time, what we've got here is failure to communicate. Yes. I fucking love this movie. Yeah. Capital L love. 
mm-hmm. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, I, I probably like this more than One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you the exact same question. Yes. Because they both deal with similar themes. And even like from a plot perspective, they're oddly similar. Right. Yeah. One involves a man being trapped in a prison. The other involves a man being trapped in an insane asylum. Yes. And they both show a certain irreverence towards authority figures. And they're both put through the ringer for their rebellion. Mm-hmm. But they remain smiling. And yes. they remain positive all the way until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you. I think this is a more realistic, yes. gritty, not as funny, no. but but certainly as emotionally moving as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's oh, Nest. Like, even, maybe even more so. This is like a shared favorite of me and my brother. It's like one of his favorite movies. It's one of mine. So we've bonded a little bit over this particular movie. But this movie is just like sad to me. Yeah. Like it's 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 one of those ones that like gets me like like close to choking up with everything that Paul Newman's put through in this movie. Yeah. But how it's just it's an, it's just really inspiring too. Sure. I mean everything that the, that uh, and it's not just like what he goes through but also with how he changes with the 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 other inmates. Right. And how he has to prove himself through time. And yes. What, and it's just and it, you know it pulls a lot from the Bible too. It, there's it's heavy on Christ imagery. Yeah, heavy, heavy. Yeah, there are crosses shown in the last shot of the movie. There is an explicit homage to the cross. There's Judas and Jesus at yep. the very end, yep. which would normally bother me, but here it just feels like like wholly appropriate. Yep. So yeah, no, yeah, Christ imagery normally wears down at me. Yeah. Take, I'm not a big fan, especially like when Zack Snyder Zach, is doing it. Yeah, I was just about to say, take note, Zack Snyder. <laughs> but yes, this is the one instance I think where Christ imagery really works. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this movie. Yeah, the evolution, as you just said, of George Kennedy's character, mm-hmm. his relationship to Paul Newman mm. is uh, is really moving and inspiring. Yeah, that by the end of it, he sort of grows a, an affection for the guy, um, and and although he is villainous, he's a very bad dude in the movie. Um, watching that relationship evolve is just awesome, man. It's mm-hmm. just classic cinema. Yeah, let's talk about Paul Newman. <laughs> I we were just talking with my father about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. You, me, and him. He contends that Paul Newman should have won the Oscar this year. Maybe now it's a stacked field. Let me read you the list: Spencer Tracy, as I said, posthumous nomination; Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate; Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde; Steiger wins for In the Heat of the Night, and Paul Newman. So it is a crazy stacked year. Uh th- this is like a like I don't know. This is like maybe my favorite paul newman performance oh wow whoa and there's a few that i i love quite a bit i love him i love him in uh, uh the hustler a lot uh i also love him quite a bit in road to perdition not quite as good but um and then of course in um the sting but this is i don't know this his performance here moves me more than probably anything else he's ever done i might go the verdict mm. i'd put the verdict ahead of it jesus i think Let's not forget wow. about Slapshot. <laughs> Never. How could I? Well, okay. So the verdict is... Um, it's an older version of Paul Newman. He's not really playing a Paul Newman type mm-hmm. in that movie. He's not so much a movie star. I mean, he has movie star qualities for sure because he's Paul Newman and he's one of our all-time greats. But the thing about this movie is it's... Only he could play this role. Yeah, it does feel that way. You know, there's something so specific about his his optimism and his smirk in the face of adversity where it's like 
you know, he's so attractive. He's so likable in everything he's in. And you need a type, you need that type of person. It's the same thing with Jack in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. You know, he, you have to be a movie star in that movie because you're galvanizing your fellow inmates to take your side. You're leading a rebellion. And the, the face of the rebellion in many ways must always be attractive. <laughs> um, okay. And I think in this case, he's, he's almost deconstructing his own archetype, mm-hmm. you know? So it's in that way, a lot of people could have played Paul Newman's part in The Verdict. I don't think anyone at the time could have played his part in Cool Hand Luke. That's fair. You know? Yeah. Ah. Uh, boy, yeah, I guess that says a lot about it. That makes that just makes me like it more though. <laughs> right. Like generally speaking, performances that sort of define their career tend to be my favorites. Right. I mean, maybe that's a that's the easy answer, but I mean it re- it really shows here. Yeah. I mean, he is just remarkable in every pretty much every single scene. I should also point out this is a very important time. We're talking about 1967. This is like two years before backlash to the Vietnam War started gaining steam. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, a a tinge of rebellion and anti-establishment stuff in all of these movies. I think it's no more explicit than in Cool Hand Luke, mm-hmm. which uh, is just, it came to define that era in many ways of cinema. Oh, yeah. It was very anti-establishment. It was... Uh, it was very young and youthful and uh, just a middle finger to the man. Yeah, well, the, And that's what this whole movie is about, really. You have to make note of that with the, this this year in particular. This is like the year where that started to become like a serious thing. Right. Where the anti-establishment movement in Hollywood really started to, to take, uh, you know, to, to, to have some momentum. It really, really starts with Bonnie and Clyde. Yep. And... Um, and then Cool Hand Luke like, like just takes it and runs with it, and then eventually you get like Easy Rider, which just like cements the the thing forever. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, this is an important year. Not 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 only just because um you know th- that that phenomenon happened to begin with, but just because like for for some reason when you have a bunch of filmmakers and artists that want to do something that's a little like quote unquote outlandish at the time, you just produce awesome fucking movies. Right. Exactly right. And Cool Hand Luke, I would put right at the top of that list. I think it's an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. It's a classic. The line is classic. Everyone knows what we've got here is failure to communicate, even if they haven't seen the movie. Mm -hmm. I use that all the time. Just if like someone's not understanding me over the phone, I'll just say we've got here as a failure to communicate. <laughs> no, it's it's great. I don't know. It's it's uh it's kind of uh, this is we'll have an interesting discussion about this towards the end. But if any movie on this list is uh, in contention for like the number one spot, this is no, I'm giving away my hand a little bit, <laughs> but this is the one. Hmm. We'll talk about it. Yeah, it could be my favorite. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. I <laughs> Let's be honest. Back. It's not my favorite. <laughs> no. But man, I love it so yeah, much. No. I love it. Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman. One of the greats. Is he like a top? Where where would you put him? Top 10? Top 5? Uh, For me? Yeah. He's in, he's in my, some of my top 10, probably. Yeah, probably in the top 10. Could be my top 5. I love Paul Newman. Yeah. I love Paul Newman. He's one of those guys that could do both. He was both a great movie star and a great character, or yeah. great method actor. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have many guys like that. Did you see Color of Money? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the, the Hustler only... sequel. Yeah. It's okay. Scorsese. Have you seen The Hustler? Yeah. Love The Hustler. Yeah. Hustler's Love The awesome. Hustler. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I wish we had more pool movies. <laughs> more pool movies? Yeah. There, there's like no billiards movies. Are there, there? There isn't? There are two. I think it's The Hustler and The Color of Money. I don't think there's any... Name one other billiards movie. Well, I can't do that. 
I need the Big Lebowski version of billiards. <laughs> I want to write that. They were saying, by the way, like a lot of people, speaking of the Big Lebowski, people were comparing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to the Big Lebowski. Don't say those things to me. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight when you say <laughs> stuff like that. People are like, it's kind of like the Big Lebowski. I'm like, oh. I will not sleep tonight. Okay. Knowing tomorrow I am seeing Tarantino's version of the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Do not say those things to me, Adam Hall. What? Is that not? That's a good thing. It's a great thing, but I'm not going to be able to sleep. <laughs> yes, you will. You have cost me so much precious shut-eye. Just, you know, uh... I can't wait now. I got to go right now. I need to storm AMC theaters <laughs> right now and steal their print. I was going to say, they have it. You know they have I'm it. Go- I'm going over there right this instant. <laughs> it's like the Big Lebowski? Kind of, yeah. That's what they said. It's, it's, it's... Hang out in a similar way. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm so down. <laughs> I am very interested to talk about it. Like, the stuff that people are saying about it is just fascinating to me. I can't wait. I can't right. wait. No, let's, let's move on. We're getting off track. Yeah. The Dirty Dozen. Yeah. is a movie I watched for the first time mm-hmm. this week. Actually, just this morning. Yes. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Directed by Robert Aldrich. Based on the novel by E.M. Nathanin. Mm-hmm. which was in turn based on the real life story of the Filthy 13. Turns out Dirty Dozen, a better name than the Filthy 13. Filthy has some negative connotations to it. When you think filthy, you don't think this, the same things. Yeah, I think they got that right, changing it to the Dirty Dozen. Starring, listen to this cast, <laughs> Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, George Kennedy, there he is again, mm-hmm. John Cassavetes, Donald Sutherland and Jim fucking Brown, <laughs> former NFL great Jim Brown. All right, I got to tell this story real quick. I saw this in my internet research. So <laughs> Jim Brown shoots this movie the summer before the NFL season was about to start. He was 29 years old. Yep. He was signed with the Cleveland Browns. He had to skip practice, skip training camp in order to film this movie and so the Browns and the NFL threatened him. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're going to fine you and suspend you from games. You got to make up your mind. Do you want to be a football player and you want, or do you want to be an actor? And obviously, Jim Brown is the greatest running back of all time, some say. So he's like, fuck you and your ultimatums. <laughs> really? You're going to find it? So he's like, I'm going to be an actor. So like two weeks after they threatened him, he holds a press conference I'm announcing my retirement from football. (laughs) So we're talking about impact because that's one of our categories. There may be no greater impact of all of these films than forcing Jim Brown to retire from the NFL. It's the movie that ended Jim Brown's career. (laughs) How crazy is that? Interesting. Still considered one of the greats, though. I love that. Just a fuck you to the NFL. You can't tell me what to do. Jim Brown. I love this guy. During World War II, a rebellious U.S. Army major is assigned a dozen convicted murderers to train and lead them into a mass assassination mission of German officers. One best sound effects at the Academy Awards was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for John Cassavetes and Best Sound, along with Best Film Editing. Number 65 on AFI's all-time thrills list. Yeah. Tell me your relationship to The Dirty Dozen, please. Oh, nothing. It's just a movie that I've seen you know, quite quite a bit, you know, growing up. It's a, it's, I think it's a favorite of my dad, so we've watched it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've sort of aged with it. And I, it's, it's another one of those movies where it's like, like, you know, I've, it's, I don't know. 
it's kind of nostalgic for me, I guess. Okay. I've, al- I've always kind of appreciated it. I've never thought that it was like necessarily one of the great war movies ever made, but I just love that ensemble. Mm-hmm. I kind of love the premise of this movie, and I think it's executed fairly well. And um, I have some reservations with it, but um, I don't know. It's just it's one of those solid kind of weird but very, very entertaining thrillers that, you know, uh, it's, it's a, a, a good comparison to this. It's kind of like a rich man's Con Air. That's what I thought about. <laughs> yeah. A rich man's Con Air. Yeah. I or can... a poor man's Con Air, depending on your point of view. I go back. It's, I like it more than Con Air. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, no, I see what you mean. It's, I feel like I, I like, a, a, this is one of those movies that's copied a lot. Yeah. The idea of the convicts. It's like Suicide Squad. Yeah. Right? That idea has been played out a bunch. These guys were bad, and now they're fighting for good. However, they're still going to do bad things along the way, but you're going to find something redeemable about them. Well, there's even a tinge of uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. Well, evidently, this movie was remade into, I think it was an Italian film called Inglorious Bastards, or The Inglorious Bastards, and that's where Tarantino got the name from well there you go so there's a very explicit connection yeah there's a lot of that i think i was expecting something a little more highbrow Mm -hmm. a little more realistic yeah and although there were efforts at like realism in terms of the war sequences it's kind of just a fun action movie yep And, and i guess that's not a problem like it's violent and it's kooky and the characters are very colorful Mm -hmm. i did like that they didn't pull any punches with a lot of the bad guys. Like they were ex-cons and a lot of them were sociopaths. Like the one character who stabbed the German woman, uh, maggot maggot. Like they didn't like, that's basically Steve Buscemi in Con Air. Uh, Yeah. And and in Con Air, they kind of make him out to be sympathetic. Right. In this movie, they make no effort. To, for them to be sympathetic and I appreciated that they didn't pull any punches and they allowed these characters to truly be bad guys but that almost creates a few issues with me particularly. how so I mean did you find like like as much as I love the characters together in their chemistry and how surprisingly well developed all the characters are for as many as there are yep. I and mean, it's a big tribute to the writing I really think that this is a, a, a fairly well written film for the time mm-hmm. and even today by today's standards it's, tr- it's just great in that way um, and I love the pl- uh, plenty of well, you know I'm, I'm getting off track here um, <laughs> the the finale where they're actually killing the, the the generals and the people do you find that a little like like off and uncomfortable and it's it did seem to revel in the violence of war a little too much. Yeah, I I, I kind of felt bad for the, the, the Germans. The Germans. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were kind of defenseless. I mean, they were caught off guard by this attack. Well, c- yeah, exactly. yeah. It, it sort of felt. I mean, I guess that's guerrilla warfare, though, man. I don't know. I don't know, but the movie itself, like, is like celebratory of it. And I'm like, yeah. like in a, in a movie today, you would have had a character question. The uh, is that, like like before he drops the grenade into the vent, he would have questioned that for like five minutes. Sure, you know, and then maybe he wouldn't have done it at all, you know. But in this, it's like, all right, like like bomb the shit out of him, and these people get fucked up. <laughs> that might be part of the point. 
I know. Am I the the over the top? Tarantino says this all the time. Like to dumb down the violence, to censor violence, is to be disrespectful to the victims of violence. Sure. You know, like in order for the audience to understand how terrible violence is, they must see it displayed more on screen, not less. And I think there might be a tinge of anti-war underneath this movie in the direction. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 revelry is almost part of the point. Um. I, I do understand what you're saying, though. Yeah. And I just think a lot of that is because it's a dumb action movie. And it has... It, I, I shouldn't say dumb. It's, an, it's a silly action movie. With big movie stars, it cost a lot of money. It made a lot of money. It's a big studio picture. And it's important to see it through that lens. We're not talking about Saving Private Ryan. No. No, 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 no. You know? What did you... Did you expect something closer to that? I did. Ew, no. I did. No. But I was okay with what I got, though. I wasn't totally bothered by it. Okay, that's good. You know? I, I, I fell into it just because, like, these people are so charismatic. It's like, uh, Charles Bronson is awesome in the movie. And... Oh, God. I love Charles Bronson. I also, um, I love John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes is the best it. performance in the movie, yeah. And, uh, uh, Telly Savalas is also quite good. Yeah, yeah, as, as Maggot, yeah. yeah. And Lee Marvin's awesome. No, me, Lee Marvin is the shit in this yeah, movie. Yeah, man. I don't, like, everyone's, like, really, really good. Uh, and for, for, Kind of a supporting role. Donald Sutherland, especially in the general sequence where he's inspecting the men. Yeah. Or pretending to. Right. I love that scene. It's probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. Yeah. It's just great stuff. Right. Um, great so, character stuff. So I think once I bought in, I do enjoy movies with movie stars. I yeah. like that. And I love them from that era specifically because it tells you about the film industry at the time and what mm-hmm. audiences valued. And Oh, yeah. It's, again, it's more of an artifact than something that would come out today, but... Still, I enjoy it for what it is. I just like movies like this, too, like that are just about a ragtag gang of guys going and doing something crazy. Sure. And this is, it's actually not my favorite uh, version of that story. My favorite is probably Kelly's Heroes. Okay, never saw. But a lot of those same actors are in it, right? A few, yeah. Yeah, Charles Bronson and Lee Marvin, I think, are both in mm, Kelly's Heroes, aren't they? Kelly Savalas is. Okay. Don Rickles is in that movie, dude. How have you not seen Kelly's Heroes? And he's great in that movie. <sighs> In fact, what look, what year did uh, Kelly's Heroes come come out? Because I'm nominating that shit when it. 1970. Oh my god! Yes, Don Rickles. Oh Clint. Yep. Uh wow. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Donald Sutherland and uh, Telly Savalas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee Marvin is not. Quentin Tarantino takes entire like tracks from that movie and puts it in, in Glorious Bastards. You'll notice that. Okay. But the Tiger Tank sequence in particular. I must see. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Don Rickles plays a character called Crap Game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Now, now that this is I, this is exactly like the movie like you should expect like that that kind of silly ragtag yeah. action movie. Like that's exactly what this movie is. Right. And it's the best version of that in my opinion. Right. I got you. Um yeah, I will say that I was um I was satisfied with the Dirty Dozen. Like once I understood what the movie was and I bought in I liked it. Yeah. Understand that I don't blow it out of proportion here. I don't think it's like a phenomenal film. I think with its legacy, it's it's become a great movie, even though not widely considered great at the time. Yep. But yeah, it's it's got it's got it's quite iconic in the realm of film lore, I suppose. Sure. And just has important people in it. Oh yeah. So there's that. Okay, it, the Dirty Dozen. It's a solid a silly action war movie that I, I highly recommend for a for a good like weekend watch. I'm glad you made me watch it. Good. Yeah, I'm glad that's in my head now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. A uh, little movie called The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Directed by Mike Nichols. That's correct. Starring Anne Bancroft. She had the top billing in this movie. Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross. 
one best director at the Oscars and nothing else was also nominated for best picture. We just discussed this best actor, best actress, best supporting actress, best adapted screenplay and best cinematography. Number nine on AFI's best comedy list. Number 52 on their love story list. Number six on their movie song list has two spots in their top 100 quotes list. Number 42 with the quote plastics. And number 63 for Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? I was going to say, okay, there we go. Yeah. Plastics. <laughs> Plastics. Okay. Got one word for you. Just one word. Plastics. How so? <laughs> <laughs> that response always makes me think of Eraserhead. When? When... <laughs> When the, the it's just such a strange response. It, it, I think of uh, the father where he's like, "Well, Henry, what do you know?" <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. What does that mean? What the hell does that mean? What do what? you know? It's just how you doing? What do you know? Is it? It means like, give me something. Just give me something. Why wouldn't you? What Start a, a conversation. That's basically what it means. What do you know? What, what do you know? What a strange thing to say. People have old men have definitely asked me that question before. <laughs> what do but you it's know? exclusively old men. Yes. <laughs> no one my age has ever said that. What do you know? I would literally respond by being like, "What? <laughs> what did you just say to me?" <laughs> well, I guess I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then he bigs that stupid smile. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, it's like okay, <laughs> great movie. Um. Oh yeah. Also, it was initially put at number seven on their all-time movie list. Mm-hmm. It's since moved down to number seventeen when they updated the list. Uh, I think we're in the right ballpark, though. Yeah. A disillusioned college graduate finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter. Yeah. Um. Mm. I watched this movie in college. Oh yeah. Like probably freshman year. Maybe maybe earlier. Might have been like end of high school. I immediately fell in love with it. <laughs> it is in my top ten. But what struck me most about this movie, and what continues to strike me about this movie, is how the older I get, the more it means to me. Mm-hmm. And that is a miracle of film. Oh yeah. It it just doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. Normally you see a movie when you're young and it means the world to you. And over the years, it starts to lose its luster. Yep. This movie has aged so perfectly. And anyone that so much ex- suggests online that this movie is dated or doesn't hold up or is from <laughs> another era and couldn't come out today is fucking high. They're crazy. Yeah. This movie could have come out yesterday and it would knock my socks off. <laughs> it's incredible, man. Uh-huh. And it's, again, incredible as a lover of film if you're just watching for Mike Nichols' direction and you're watching for this great script and Dustin Hoffman's performance. And, like, on a technical level, it's a masterpiece. But as a college graduate myself and as someone that is currently unemployed and does five podcasts a week <laughs> and that's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life... And who was, who was also sleeping with, uh, with his neighbors, with uh, my neighbor's wife. mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As someone that has experienced all those things, firsthand, um, man, it just means so much to me. This movie speaks to me and it's so timeless and it's ageless and, oh, the graduate alien jaws, taxi driver. 
graduate. Whoa! <laughs> I fucking love this movie. <laughs> I love this movie so much. This movie means so much to me. This is another important film for me. I love it. Oh, God, like, infinitely. It's it's a movie I saw when I was actually quite young. Hmm. Yeah, I saw it when I was maybe, like, 10. Wow! Yeah. And I remember, like, liking it then, just being like, this is something special. But then I revisited it in high school, and I, I remember... Sitting in class, actually, we saw it in, I think it was freshman year of high school. We're all sitting there, and it's very obvious to me, like, looking around that no one gets it. And I'm just sitting there just, like, like dumbfounded by how amazing this movie is. Why do you figure they don't get it? They're just not old enough? I guess. Yeah. I No, I was like, guys, this is absolutely brilliant yeah everything that this movie is doing on a thematic level on a performance level the direction it's one of those movies where it's just you it clicks for you and you understand what, like what filmmaking's about hmm. and uh it, like, like you said everything from the way uh mike nichols directs the film to just the way the story moves to to writing to dustin hoffman's performance um but again more importantly just like how with with the things that the movie's dealing with just spans generations. Yeah. And it's something that the older you get, you're just going to fall in love with more and more and more. And I've actually talked about it with a buddy of mine, and he's, he doesn't love it. And I'm just like, I don't understand how you can't love this movie. Yeah, that I don't get. Is it just because it's old? And sometimes I really do think that. I sometimes like, it's the only reason you don't like this movie is because it's just kind of old. Right. Because there's a few like... It's like, a little grainy. There are some weird jump cuts. Yeah. It's like, it, as if that's not the point. Right. As if there's some like funny zooms as if that's not the point right it's got one of my favorite like I, I don't usually like get this specific with movies but it's got like my favorite racking of focus yeah like the scene where um elaine figures out that he's cheated on or he's, he's sleeping with uh, her mother yeah it's like her slowly coming to realize what's happened and the, the ultimate payoff of that scene and just how she just goes ballistic on him it's great it's great. There's so much great little technical stuff too. Mm. And by the way, I don't want to uh, harp on that a little too much because the movie is just um, it is a great experience just to sink into the story too. Yep. Like it's not one of those movies. It's not like Citizen Kane where it's like this is an incredible work of cinema. I appreciate the methodology here, but I can't really sink into the story. The Graduate again. It could have come out yesterday and you would just forget everything everything would wash away mm-hmm. it's that immersive of a movie yep but you're right though mike nichols does such interesting stuff with the camera the shot where dustin hoffman is running and he does <laughs> this thing where the camera moves with hoffman in and i i don't know exactly what he's doing with the zoom there but it creates the illusion that he's running but he's not going anywhere it's almost like he's on a street but it looks like a treadmill mm-hmm. and it, it just harps on this idea that He's trying so hard to get somewhere in life, but he's got no idea where he's going. Oh, God. So as much as he tries, no progress is being made. It's just that and his struggle to get there and how something's always pulling him back. Right. It's just it's just like it's such interesting attention to detail and such clever filmmaking tricks. Right. I just love it when a, when a filmmaker understands, like, how can I shoot this to give this particular emotional response? Yeah. And he does it like like next to perfectly yeah even just to like the classic like miss mrs robinson you're trying to seduce me you could have had him just saying that line but how best to do that why don't we frame him inside her leg yeah it's like yeah <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> how you do between her yeah. legs yeah. <laughs> under her spell <laughs> it's great it's like you have you can't go anyway you're in her her grasp yep i love it oh it's so smart <laughs> and that's such an iconic shot and you get all this iconography too oh, God, yeah we're talking about the legacy of the movie and mm-hmm. 
Um, everyone knows The Graduate, even if they haven't seen it. They know the story. They know the song. Um, I think it's Best probably... Best soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. So <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel were supposed to write three songs for the movie, uh-huh. and they only wrote one because I guess Paul Simon was touring or whatever, and he didn't have enough time. And so Mike Nichols goes up to Paul Simon and says, hey, where are the other two songs? And he goes, I don't really have the time. But I'll play this other random song for you that I'm working on. Again, this is not for the movie. I didn't write this. This is just a song I'm playing around with. It's called Mrs. Roosevelt. And it's about like Joe DiMaggio and shit. And so we just start strumming along. And Mike Nichols goes, all right, it's about Mrs. Robinson now. Take that name out. We're going to call it Mrs. Robinson. Let's record the song, put it in the movie. And somehow it becomes the most indelible song in the history of film, really? I know. Like, it's attachment to the subject matter, even though it wasn't initially written that way. And it just seems to me like one of those happy accidents. Oh, yeah. And That's exactly what it is. You know, it's one of these great things. Oftentimes, you think of art and filmmaking as meticulous and, uh, and specific. And you assume that if Paul Simon is writing a song for a movie, each and every word is going to be so well thought out and so specific to the themes of the movie... But nah, it's just an interesting song he was working on, and they literally changed just one name yep. from the song to make it work. But now I listen to that song and I think about my future and how uncertain it is, and figuring things out and stumbling through life mm-hmm. and the difference between generations. And yeah. because of the magic of that movie, all <laughs> of that stuff is is stitched. It's it's in the stitching. It's in the fabric. Of Mrs. Robinson. So I listen to that song and I think about the movie. Oh, God. Espe- Wherever I go, I can't escape The Graduate is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I know. And of course, when I when I saw Art Garfunkel, you can't help but think of that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a movie. It's like, oh, man. I showed Abby that the movie and I was like, you're going to like this movie. She's like, why? It's like, and, she, and I'm just like, well, because every song in it is just a Simon and Garfunkel to it. It's right. just like, <laughs> yes. And then she falls in love with the movie, like for that alone. Right. I just love showing this movie to people. Right. Because it's a... And this movie is just, like, too relatable. It is. It's too damn relatable. I think you have to go through the process, though, of graduating college to really understand To really get it. it. Yes, I know. You know? Just the uncertainty and, uh, yeah, I, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, sleeping with my neighbor's wife, my girlfriend's mother. It, I could see myself doing that. <laughs> you know? Well, it's one of my favorite coming-of-age movies, if you want to call it that. But it's also one of my favorite, like, what-now movies. It is the prototypical what now? Yeah, and I think nothing exemplifies that more than the ending of the movie. The ending of the movie is the greatest ending in the history of film. Yes, that some I don't know if I don't know if I said I don't know who said it, but um, uh, it's I I call it the greatest oh shit moment in movie history. Yeah, because that's what it is. Precisely what it is. Where it's like you've done this amazing romantic thing and you're gonna run away and be happy for the rest of your oh wait what did we just do? The film cuts. 10 seconds after it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. It's just Mike Nichols keeps the camera rolling. And I, <laughs> what is there to say about that moment? It's so damn real. How many times have you done that? God, I do it like every day. <laughs> How many decisions have you made that you're so proud of in the moment? <laughs> yep. And you think, yes, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And then you realize, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Mm-hmm. I don't know what step I'm supposed to take. I'm yeah. an adult now. Mm-hmm. What is adulting after all? I mean, really, that's something this generation toys around with all the time. When oh, yeah. they say, I'm so adulting tonight. 
You know, I'm I'm sitting at home doing adult things. I know. You don't even know what that means, bro. <laughs> I don't think it's that much different from a lot of the stuff you do as a kid, ultimately. It's, yeah. It's, you just let it happen. And this movie, like, almost... It, when it does that, it almost doesn't feel like a movie. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of movies just end with the, them... It, it would just end with them driving off, and that yeah. would be fine. And But you don't think about what happens after the fact. Mm-hmm. You don't think about, like, okay, if this actually happened... You would probably be like, "Yeah, wait a second. Is this was this really the smartest thing to do? Is this really realistic?" <laughs> yeah, it actually feels like they're hanging out with the actors after Mike Nichols said "cut." Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just they're sitting there thinking about the scene, and it's the the credits roll. Um, yeah, Michael Clayton kind of ripped it off at the end of that movie. Uh, it's been done a number yeah. of times, and there's so much of this movie that's been borrowed by other filmmakers. Oh God. Yeah. Um, but it's never been done as well. And that's why it is Mike Nichols masterpiece. It is the movie that is most commonly associated with him. Um, let's talk about Dustin Hoffman. Okay. So this is like his star making role. Yes. What I find so interesting about it is that he could have been a stunning leading man because the part almost calls for a stunning leading man. Kind of. And in many ways, the movie turned him into a much sought-after movie star. Sure. But it, 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 uh, it's almost in spite of him, you know, not because of him. I guess, yeah. So I just found it so interesting that he was so short and so <laughs> Jewy. I think he even said at one point, like, it was a big risk for Mike Nichols to cast a Jew in this movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I guess he faced a lot of anti-Semitism at the time. People were criticizing The Graduate because the star had too big a nose <laughs> and he was a little too idiosyncratic. But I think all of that stuff, the dorkiness, the awkwardness, it only helps the movie and enhances the story. It doesn't hurt it. You couldn't relate to it as well. We're all, we're all like, like no, everyone's a little like, like people who go through stuff like this are are kind of like incredibly imperfect, yeah, and far more down to earth. And you can you can kind of see them walking around on the street. You know, you don't necessarily see them in the movies. Mm. And I think Dustin Hoffman is actually kind of perfect in that way, right? Because he's not Harrison Ford, you know, exactly. And that's and he's not Paul Newman for that no. matter, you know. And that's why this movie was so important as a introduction to Dustin Hoffman because this was his basically first big performance. Yes. This was his star making role. Um, he could have gone one of two ways because he would have been cast in any rom-com mm-hmm. in, in any movie star role he wanted, but he decided to go the other way with it. Yep. Um, and I just don't think this performance is nearly as good with another actor at the helm. Probably not. Just isn't. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. Like when I think the graduate, I think Dustin Hoffman. Me too. Oh man, who could have done it? Probably not. Yeah. At the time. Hmm. I mean, Pacino could have played the role. <sighs> A young Pacino could have done it. How young was Dog he? Day Afternoon? Pacino, Serpico, Pacino. That's right in his wheelhouse. I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of how I view Pacino now. It'd be hard. Yeah, but you think about Serpico. Sure, that's it's a, actually similar character beats in a lot of those movies. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but still Hoffman, incredible. No, he's awesome. I might have given him the Oscar that year. Maybe it's close though. I don't know. I, I have, I have a very strong affinity for uh, Paul Newman and Cool Hand Luke, but this is this is pretty damn close. It's certainly one of Dustin Hoffman's best performances. Yeah. And Bancroft only six years older than Dustin Hoffman in real yeah, life. Yeah, I know. Kind of weird. Kind of creepy. Doesn't feel that way. 
No. At I all. guess she just looks older and he looks younger. But <laughs> it's just really strange. It happens. Yeah. Uh, that's a graduate. Oh, God. Yeah. What else is there to say? We'll talk later. All right. Now what? Let's do Bonnie and Clyde. Directed by Arthur Penn. Mm-hmm. Based on a true story. There was a real life Bonnie and Clyde. No, there wasn't. Liar. There was. No, there wasn't. For sure. Bullshit. And they killed people. <laughs> Starring Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Michael J. Pollard, Gene Hackman, and in a small role, his film debut, Gene Wilder. Yeah, that's true. What does he, he he's one of the guys who gets kidnapped. robbed or kidnapped? Yeah, yeah that's remember right. they kidnap him? That's and they right. get the burgers at the restaurant? Okay, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he's like, I wanted mine well done. Yep, that's true. Okay, yeah, yeah. His first uh, film performance. Didn't know that. Not as good as the sheep role. That's the best Gene Wilder performance by a mile. Agreed. <laughs> the sheep role. <laughs> well, not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> One uh, best supporting actress at the Oscars. Estelle Parsons won that. I don't understand because I really don't like her performance in that movie. Mm. She yeah. plays Blanche. Uh, and best cinematography. It also won that. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor for both Gene Hackman and Michael Pollard, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Costume Design. Number 13 on AFI's all-time thriller list, number 65 on their love story list, 32 on their villains list. Bonnie and Clyde shared that distinction. Number 41 on their quotes list, the quote, We Rob Banks being the one in question. Number five on their gangster film list, and on their initial top 100 list, it is listed at the 27 spot for greatest movies of all time. Okay. Okay. Bonnie Parker, a board waitress, falls in love with an ex-con named Clyde Barrow, and together they start a violent crime spree through the country, stealing cars and robbing banks. Correct. Before we talk about the impact of this movie, tell me what you think about it. Well, I, I think it's strange that it w- that it won Best Cinematography. Mm. Conrad Hall shot Cool Hand Luke, and it's a much better looking movie than that. I agree much better looking a lot of those it's it's one of those movies where I, funny enough a lot of the oscars like I, I maybe it was because of the, the the splash that the movie made when it came out which just attracted the oscars but i'm not sure a lot of those nominations are totally deserved here yeah uh i like the movie a lot D- do not get me wrong um and i saw it like fairly recently again like I, I'd seen it a long time ago, but I had I had to rewatch it for school, and I actually liked it quite a bit. And I liked the the, the performances, uh, well, m- most notably anyway, with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Uh, I, hmm, yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's maybe a little something keeping me back from loving it, and I'm not quite sure what it is. I don't know. Maybe you can help me out with this. I don't know. That's so interesting. Because I feel the same way. Okay, but okay. I am called crazy when I say that. I, I no, it's a great movie. It's a, it's cr- a, it's a look. Great, it's a great movie. Yeah, I, I I had to watch this for my screenwriting class. Okay, in college, I think you took that same class, right? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah, with the great Jordan Moffat, writer of <laughs> Like Mike, Like Mike, and George <laughs> of the Jungle too. Great screenwriter, Jordan Moffat. Yeah, and I think an episode of Andy Griffith or something. Okay, that's cool. And and. Not do, Andy Griffith, no. Did you do Columbo? No. 
No, it wasn't Andy Griffith. It was an, it was uh what the hell was the show that he was like so He wrote a spec script for like an old cop show. Oh what shoot, what was that show called? I um, don't remember. Let me let me look up his IMDB right now. He talked about it a lot. Um Barney Miller. That's, yeah, that's right. Barney yeah, yeah. Fucking Miller. He wrote a Barney Miller spec script, sent it in, and that used to happen back in the day. Is you would send in a script and they'd be like, "Sure, we'll make your episode of Barney Miller." <laughs> that would never happen anymore. He also did an episode of One Day at a Time too. Look okay. at that. Oh yeah, it takes two. Yeah, he was on. Yeah, he did some shows. Anyway, yes, he wrote like Mike though, most notably. Um, but he made us watch Bonnie and Clyde, and I. I think it was along with The Graduate, as a matter of fact, a lot of those movies from the era. And uh, I came back to him saying that I thought the movie um, was transgressive and edgy and violent. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. But there was something keeping me from liking these characters and caring about what happens to them. Um, And he thought that... I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember him saying to me, wow, I can't believe he didn't like this because we had had like a bunch of film conversations in the past. But I remember him being very shocked that I wasn't totally blown away and entertained by it because it's such an explosive movie. Oh, yeah. But that might be a little too much. And I wonder, I wonder if the transgressiveness sort of gets in the way from just making a damn good story. I don't know if it's not a damn good story. Is it... So- <sighs> Because I, I, because I, I, I contend with this a lot, because I like the movie quite a bit, but like this is another one of those movies where I come back from it and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I love that for for whatever reason, and maybe it's the characters, but maybe it's also their performances. I like their performances a lot too, so I, and I just I just praise them, but at the same time, there could be something about them that kind of keeps me from you know really getting into it. I don't know. So a lot of critics at the time. Maybe this will help. A lot of critics at the time criticized the movie. Um, it is known as one of the movies that ushered in the new Hollywood era. It's maybe the movie. Right. It is yeah. the movie that ushered in that era and glorified violence in many ways. I don't think there's any debating that. No. It glorified violence. It praised. I shouldn't say, but it it, it uh, attempted to uh, make you root for murderers. Mm-hmm. That was at least the goal. These people weren't villains. They were anti-heroes through and through. And a lot of the violence is cartoonish, and a lot of those performances are turned up to 11. You know, And so it's just sort of a fun, revelatory bloodbath. And I think a lot of old-school critics at the time, some crotchety old men, were like, oh, these kids, what, what is happening to our youth? And they looked at it very, very admonishingly. And so I don't want to sound like those guys, because... Those guys were assholes for the most part. Yeah. Um, the movie is important and it's totally fine and there's nothing immoral about it. But I do think that um, to not uh, to not ask us to question these characters and their motivations is a little disingenuous. Okay. I think it's you should give us some of the counterweight as well. You right. should maybe feel make these characters feel bad that they're murdering innocent people and robbing banks. Yes, that I agree with. So it might lack a little bit of a conscience, Poss- dare I say. Mm. Is it has something to do with the attitude of the movie? I guess because the movie has like that. Let, let's. Uh, it almost has like that Miley Cyrus attitude. <laughs> what? 
there's another what did you say like the adam take right now <laughs> no like you mean it had its hands up playing his song <laughs> the butterflies just flew away it has that similar kind of transgressiveness to it where it's just trying to kind of like like make a splash where it's like we're breaking away and we're no longer like like this cute thing you it know? came in like a wrecking ball you might say that's right nico <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's almost well. You know what Bonnie and Clyde always say: "There's always going to be a higher mountain." <laughs> oh, shut up! It's always going to be something to lose. I don't give a fuck about Miley Cyrus. <laughs> ain't about how fast I get there. It ain't about what's waiting on the other side. You see, eh. How dare you? Not like Miley Cyrus. It's not that hard. Miley's my bitch, man. That's unfortunate. Dude, I love Miley. Good for you. Don't even stop. Don't even go there with me, dude. Too bad. How awesome is Miley? How terrible is Miley? Miley's fucking sweet, dude. Is that right? Oh, Miley's the best. Could have fooled me. Miley's awesome. (laughs) Miley's just so out there right now. She's like hit her Britney Spears phase, and it's so attractive to me. (laughs) I love it. I love how much of a train wreck Miley Cyrus is right now. You weirdo. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, I just couldn't care less. I, I, well, okay. I fucking love my, and also Party in the USA is like an all time great pop song. Song's incredible. Okay. <laughs> Not in my head, like, yeah. Moving my hips, like, yeah. I love those lyrics so fucking much. Booked a plane at LAX <laughs> with a dream in my cardigan. <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> I don't know. She likes listening to Madonna. I don't know. Oh, well, again, too bad. <laughs> Fucking Madonna. Uh, what the hell? What was were that? we talking about? This is the Miley Cyrus of movies. Is that what you just said? <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm talking about the way it tries to like present itself on the scene. Like it's trying to be deliberately transgressive, and it's almost trying to present these characters where it's normally would have been kind of fluffed up, you know, and it would have been. It would not have been nice to see teenagers or kids be presented in a way that's like 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 uber violent or sexual or anything like that and this movie is kind of saying like we're gonna go out and have fun yeah in a way that's i guess that's where i'm coming from but look that's an important thing i mean obviously this is an important movie it it led the way for uh, a lot of filmmakers to come to deal with dicey material and to do it with movie stars i mean that's the the notable thing here is that warren Beatty and faye dunaway were mainstream movie stars yes um, Warren Beatty got this movie produced on his own. This movie would not have been made if Warren Beatty did not get a hold of the script mm-hmm. and push for financing. Um, so, yeah, it's wicked, wicked, wicked important that beautiful people, attractive leading men and women decided to play skeezy characters. Like monsters. Yeah, real monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I do not want to underestimate the importance of this movie. Me neither. I just think uh, I have a hard time sinking my teeth in and caring when they get shot at the end. Spoiler alert. I mean, I think the like I respond to it like a little and a little little shockingly, I guess. And I think that's more just because of the way it's filmed and edited. Like it's very jarring yes. and, and chaotic and all over the place. Very gritty. Very gritty. Rough it's not it's not pleasant to watch, but I th- I think building up to that moment I was I was more okay with them getting shot if that makes sense less so than the moment where well, they I wasn't get... sad were you sad not really no I think the, like I said the moment itself is fairly shocking like I said because of the way it's executed but 
after the fact, I'm kind of like, eh, all right, I guess they deserved it. <laughs> right. It didn't matter to me that they wouldn't be able to ride off into the sunset. Yeah. And I guess I should have cared. Mm-hmm. And I know that's um, a problem that you have with natural born killers, right? Do you feel similarly about that movie? Because that movie is basically Bonnie and Clyde, but in the 90s. No, I just think uh, natural born killers is fucking stupid. Okay. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> That, well, Bonnie and Clyde certainly inspired that one directly. Yes, that's true. Well, Badlands as well is another one. Uh-huh. I think it's even more inspired by Badlands. Um, Clyde was initially written as bisexual. Yes, which is interesting. They were supposed to have like a, a threesome with... Um, oh, did my mic cut out? Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I think I just hit something. Uh, yeah, I guess he was supposed to have a threesome with Faye Dunaway and, and Michael Pollard. Okay. <laughs> but I guess Warren Beatty didn't want the character to be unsympathetic. And perhaps introducing a third person in that relationship might just make them look like sexual deviants. And he wanted them to feel like real people. Okay. So he didn't want to give the audience members an out. All right, that's fair. So, okay, I guess. Um, early adopter of squibs. Yeah. One of the first movies that used squibs, which are those like blood packs you put on actors that explode mm-hmm. after a gun is shot. That I'm sure we'll see plenty of in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm sure there will be plenty. So that's an important thing on a technical level. And Roger Ebert, I should say, although the movie suffered a lot of criticism in its day, Roger Ebert was one of its champions. He said about the film that it was, quote, a milestone in the history of American movies, a work of truth and brilliance. So Roger Ebert ahead of his time. As he always was. It's a very good movie, guys. It really is. It's just there's there's a tiny bit of disconnect, I think, with its intentions. Yes. I don't think it kills the movie, but it certainly makes you question it. Yeah. So. All right. Finally. You're not alone. Don't worry. Okay, good. I'm, I'm... Do you dislike the movie, though? No, I don't. Okay. okay. I don't. Um, yeah, I just have a hard time relating. All right. And maybe it's just because the violence is a little too revelatory. Maybe it is a little too over the top. Maybe. You know? But, like, I love Quentin Tarantino movies, so I don't know. Sure. (laughs) Nothing wrong, though, I guess, with shooting Hitler multiple times in the face. Right. That's a little different. Right. I think we all want to shoot Hitler multiple times in the face. I just think the anti-hero was very new for 1967, and Mm -hmm. I don't think Hollywood had quite figured out how to tell those stories yet. Maybe. You know? Because there's nothing wrong with making these characters bad guys, you just need to force them to contend with the fact that they're bad guys. I think that's the important distinction mm-hmm. with anti-heroes. You can't just tell the story from the villain's point of view and say, oh, that's interesting and notable. <laughs> you have to give them a little more dimension and you have to make them heroic in some way. True. And I just don't think those characters are particularly heroic. No, I agree. All right. Here we go. Last movie. In the Heat of the Night. I wish I could sing this because I love that song now. In the heat. Is that Ray Charles? Yeah. Of the night. <laughs> Directed by Norman Jewison. Starring the aforementioned Sidney Potier and Rod Steiger. Yeah. Winner of Best Picture. Along with Best Actor, not for Sidney Potier, the most iconic character in the movie, but Rod Steiger, who is not really in a leading role. No. I mean, kind of. Tomato, tomato, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, and Best Editing. It won all of those awards. It was also nominated for Best Director and Best Sound Effects. Number 75 on AFI's all-time movie list. The number 19 hero of all time is Mr. Tibbs. Mm-hmm. Number 16 movie quote, they call me Mr. Tibbs. 
and number 21 on their Cheers list of most inspirational movies. It was followed by two sequels and a long-running TV show. Lasted, I believe, seven seasons the, in the Heat of the Night TV show with yeah. Carol O'Connor in Rod Steiger's oh, role, I really? think. really? That's interesting. Archie Bunker. Okay. I could see it. Yeah, I believe it uh, was in the, in the Heat of the Night. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Carol O'Connor. Um, an African-American police detective is asked to investigate a murder in a racially hostile southern town. We watched it for the first time this week, Adam Hall. Mm-hmm. What did you think? This was... Uh, one of the great pleasant surprises of my life. Because <laughs> this movie is so dope. <laughs> it was that day and the day you grew pubic hair. It mm-hmm. was both pleasant surprises. <laughs> I was terrified that day. <laughs> That's not supposed to be there. <laughs> no, this movie's awesome. This movie is, uh, ooh, where does this, this is like, I guess it's my third favorite on this list, actually. Yeah, I think I put it the same place. Yeah. It's- this movie's just it's just it's just it's just kind of great. <laughs> it's it's very small and it's kind of lethal weapon before lethal weapon. Not quite, but not as not as witty as lethal weapon. It's a buddy cop movie, but, I guess. But so. I guess it's yeah, I was going to say the prototypical buddy cop movie before they were really a thing. Yeah. And it's just uh, it's far more interesting here, honestly, and far more well performed <laughs> here than probably ever before and I guess that's why I loved it so much. I texted you after I watched the movie this week, and I went, hey, Adam, turns out they used to really make good movies. (laughs) Like, back in 67, they just knew how to make shit. Yeah. And I feel like they don't do that anymore. No. And I said to you, it's the only industry where it's like, people forgot how to make movies. (laughs) You know? No, it's like, it'd be like NASA gets to the moon in, in 69, it was just the 50th anniversary, and it, it would be like the head of NASA saying, yeah, we don't know how to go to the moon anymore. <laughs> it's like, how did you forget to make something this good? And that's what blew me away about In the Heat of the Night. It's a fairly derivative cop drama mm-hmm. in that it's not reinventing the wheel. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's about racial politics, and it's about other stuff. Yeah. But at its core, it's a very simple crime story but this is the best possible version of that movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what's amazing. If this movie came out tomorrow, it would not be this good. No. They don't make movies, they don't make cop movies as compelling as in the heat of the night anymore. Mm-mm. I guess the, what's the closest thing we've got? Like End of Watch, is that it? End of, oh, God, I hate, you know what? I'm not a big fan of that movie. <laughs> that's the found footage one, right? Yeah. The David Goyer one. David Ayer. Oh, David Ayer, Whatever. sorry. This is one of those movies where it's like I'm watching it and just visually there's just nothing dated about it. Yeah. Like there's there are elements of Bonnie and Clyde that feel like it would have come from that time and and guess who's coming to dinner, dinner as well. But I mean this movie just you, like and you said it to me like it could have been released yesterday and it would have been like perfectly at home. Would have totally held up. No. You could release this as like a HBO miniseries oh, and it God. would be awesome. It looks great. It sounds great. I mean it moves. This movie just flies by. It's so much fun. But again and we'll, we'll maybe we'll I guess we'll talk about this now. I just love everyone in this movie. Yeah. Let's talk about those two leading men. So I think it's again a little weird that Potier didn't even get nominated for the Oscar. Which is strange to me. It's very weird that they decided to award Steiger. Because um, I just think Potier, it's a less showy performance, but mm-hmm. it's a more commanding performance. That's what I said, yeah. 
you know yeah, i i was like blown away by him in this movie but again for that reason just like his his command and confidence over every scene and how he just kind of owns the room and just his little gestures too like when he's like careful harvey right moments like that which points just, the finger yeah i just love those moments I'm and he's the only like, one on your side here yeah <laughs> the movie is just full of those for him but the thing that makes uh his performance a little better in this than it would would have been in like guess who's coming to dinner is, is just the fact that this character is flawed in an interesting way mm. yeah in his own racial prejudice as well which i was actually very surprised by i wouldn't say though it's one of those movies like green book where it's it's a black guy that lives a black life and a white guy that lives a white life, but then they share a car and they learn to love each other's differences. It's not that simple. It's a little more messy. Yes. Um, but I, I understand your sentiment there. Well, because it's in, it's incredibly messy, in my opinion, but very down to earth and, and incredibly authentic because it gets violent at times. Right. It gets scary and you're really not sure if they're ever going to be able to mend their aggressions and they don't totally mend it yeah but they but they do so enough so that they can leave kind of satisfied it's not it's and honestly i guess that's the way it would work in real life anyway it's like after going through everything that these characters have to contend with it's like yeah you know what like when push comes to shove let's just get this crazy job done right i don't care about you or 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 what your your creed or your color is let's just you know we're stuck together yeah because the wife of the murdered guy wants us to work together Mm -hmm. so we have to but yeah, I found a lot of that racial stuff to to really hit home. Like it when worked. Each of the characters calls Sidney Poitier boy. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable and it just cuts to the core of you. Mm-hmm. It's like you feel so bad for this guy and you're so pissed off that we lived in a country that allowed this sort of behavior. Yep. Yeah, it's really effective. A lot of this stuff is super effective. And you're right. It works as a great character piece, but also as a great crime movie and it's a compelling mystery at its core although it's simple um i will say the final scene the climax was a little stiff Mm -hmm. kind of felt stagey didn't really feel like a climax worthy of this movie i agree you know yeah I, i wanted a little bit more and everything fell into place too neatly but you have that a lot with crime movies it happens more than not you know there's a there's a very convenient resolution to the mystery, mm-hmm. you know, and it always feels a little forced and a little unrealistic. So that would be my one nitpick, I suppose. But all this stuff leading up to that, the racial tension and the chemistry between these two guys is palpable, man. I oh, love it all. Yeah. Again, because it's imperfect. It's not exactly nice. Yeah. They like they really don't get along throughout like most of the movie. Yeah. And then they really only get along when they absolutely need to, but right. that's just by necessity of what they're forced to do. Right. And like, again, like that just speaks to me more than people getting into a car and working out their differences. Exactly. Like in Green Book. Yeah. It's just so much better than that story. Right. And they share that scene in, um, Rod Steiger's house. Yes. And they talk over drinks and that's just, that apparently that scene is improvised. It's so good. A lot of the dialogue is improvised. And yet you get a little bit of the heart and you get a little bit of the commonality between those two, but not too much. I was so surprised to see it though. Yeah. I didn't, I really didn't expect that out of a movie like this. Yeah. This yeah. is solid. This movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it's another one of those, like, like, like you, you, see, you know the story. You've seen it a thousand times. Just this execution is dope. It's like you know, like Hell or High Water is another like yeah. contemporary example. Yeah, it's a western. It's brothers on the run. It's a heist movie, kinda. Yeah, or like you know, it's an, maybe an even better one is the town. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah sure. It's just, like you know that story. You know, even if you haven't seen the movie, but just 
how they execute it is all that matters. And this just, you know, it just goes back to everything I always say. It's just presentation is everything in a movie. Right. You know? And that is certainly in the heat of the night. I wish more movies like this existed. Yep. We just don't have many of them anymore. It's just like, they just you care about your story and your characters. You're taking it seriously. You're taking the... You're taking the story just as seriously as the craft. Yeah. I see a lot of movies that have great craft, but they don't necessarily... Like, the story is almost an afterthought. And, uh, yeah, this is this double de- doubles down on both, and it's it's wonderful. Mm. Um, awesome, man. Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. Um, just one of the greats, man. Oh, God. No, I, great American actor. I don't know. I think I'm serious. I don't know how he wasn't nominated for this. I, I fucking love him in this movie. I mean, I guess he won the Oscar for Lilies of the Field a few years earlier, and so I don't think they fa- found an obligation to give him it. So we think he's better than Rod Steiger, though. I I really think he is. Yeah, I love Rod, but see, I would have given Rod Steiger best supporting actor. Yeah, I think Rod Steiger's phenomenal. I love him in the movie, but I would have given him supporting, and I would have given Sidney the lead. Yeah, yeah, so great. All right, good. I'm glad. Yep, we agree on most of these movies. I think <laughs> we agreed on pretty much all of them. Wow, there was a lot of agreement just there. Yeah, sorry, listeners. I know you want us to just like butt heads and, and hate each other at, at the end of this. Don't worry, I'll nominate a few more Repo Mans. It's okay. <laughs> Did we have any arguments about anything other than Miley Cyrus today? <laughs> no, I think that was our only point of contention. Okay, <laughs> if that's as bad as we get, I think we've done a good job. Yeah. <laughs> all right, this is the most obvious choice of all time, isn't it? Yes. We're giving it to the Dirty Dozen. Yes. No. Guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, right. Guess who's fucking coming to dinner? Uh, no. No? Uh, I believe we're going to have to go with Bonnie and Clyde. No, I'm kidding. Mm, how about we go with the Emoji Movie? Ooh. I think it's better than all these pieces of shit. Good choice. I like the Emoji Movie a lot. It's my favorite. All right. Let's call it off. Let's call it off. Let's Jurassic just, Park. No. No? Let's do this movie. Dude, how fucking good is this song? How fucking good is this song? There's never been a more clear choice in the history of this podcast. gonna have to be the graduate yeah it's a graduate <laughs> congratulations to the graduate movie hall of fame please stop singing i love that song congratulations yeah yeah too obvious too obvious. Too obvious. Happened some years, man. Yeah. No other choice. Yeah. It's Bonnie kinda... and Clyde, very important movie. A lot of important movies on this list, though. We can't really, you know, we, we, we can't go against that. And I mean, the, the, the biggest contender for me, like I said, is Cool Hand Luke, which yep. I absolutely adore. I'm but, with you, too. Uh, but uh, The Graduate holds a special place in my heart, as, yeah. it, as it probably does you. And America's heart. Yes. It's just perfect. It's a perfect masterpiece of a movie. What can you say? Nothing else to say. Yeah. Other than to say... We will be back next week with a review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And two weeks from now, we're going to do this again. And we're going to do it with the year 1954. 
Oh my God, we're getting really far, guys. We, we are. are going way far back. It is the earliest year that we will ever cover on this podcast, or at least <laughs> ever, to date. <laughs> ever. That's where it stops. You don't want to. You don't want to go any further back. Well, look, man. It's. <laughs> I've had to do a lot of homework for this podcast. Jesus, man. there's some good movies out there. Have you? What's a What's an early one that you would love? Like The Bad and the Beautiful. You ever seen The Bad and the Beautiful? I have not. Ooh, you would love it. You would look. Lo- I love this podcast. I I love doing all of this digging and i love being introduced to movies i haven't seen yet but my god do i need to get a life yes <laughs> i've been watching so many movies yeah i know well after 54 we can start doing like some 2000s we'll have like a run of like just like three 2000 shows so we don't have to watch so many goddamn movies yeah that's a good idea all right so let's go back to the year 1954 mm-hmm. uh would you like to go first yes i would like you to go first as a matter of fact okay you have no say in the matter oh, i have no say in the matter yeah what do you want to do on the final decision is that what you're trying to no, do? I, w- I want you to draft uh, Seven Samurai. Okay, let's go with On the Waterfront. Okay, uh, and then I will throw on uh, Godzilla. How did I know that was coming? Uh-huh. <laughs> let's go with the rear window. And now it gets fun. Now it gets very fun. Hmm. I know what you're going to do. How do you know? Because I know you. You don't know what I'm going to do. I know exactly what you're going to say. It. Stop it, you. I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> Just spare the suspense, will you? Why do, there's some good movies on this list. I don't know. I don't know. Wait a second. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm going through this list and it says uh, The Purple Plane. I thought it said Purple Rain. Oh. <laughs> that came out in 54? No. Um. Ugh. Jesus. I know what you're going to say before you say it. It's I'm, it, I'm just waiting for you to come to the conclusion. Mm. I know exactly what you're going to do. Nah. So just do it already. Shit. Uh, dial in for murder. Oh, wow. I'm surprised. Yeah, I know what you thought I was going to say. I thought you were going to say Creature from the Block. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. Prob- I, I just assumed. You probably should like duck that right now. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I, full disclosure, I absolutely love the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I got to go dial in for murder. I'm shocked. Okay. Yeah. I want to see the Judy Garland star is born. So I'm going to nominate that one. Okay. okay. I haven't seen that one. Good. So we'll enjoy that together. All right. So there are your six nominees. On the Waterfront, Rear Window, Dial M for Murder, Godzilla. Godzilla? What the hell was that? Just say Gojira. Is that what it is? Gozira. What? <laughs> Do that again, please. Isn't that the accent they use? No, they say Gojira. Oh, Gojira. <laughs> Dude, I've never seen the movie. Forgive me. For God's sakes. Or you could just say Godzilla. <laughs> Seven Samurai and a Star is Born. The Judy Garland version. You have to watch three movies. <laughs> God damn it, dude. No, I have to watch four. What? Oh, you haven't seen Dial in for Murder? Yeah. Oh, my God. You're so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two weeks. Okay. You can. And I have to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood five times. It, you know, I got How am I going to squeeze all of this in? I got to admit, it does get exhausting seeing so many movies. <laughs> it is, man. It is sort of a... Tra- the last thing I want is for movie watching to become a chore because it's my favorite thing to do is yes. watch movies. Which is why we need to start doing some 2000s. Yeah. We got to just slow down a bit or maybe give us some more time. We have two weeks to do these, so it shouldn't be too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be fun. Yes. Okay. That's it. Save like a whole day for Seven Samurai because it's so fucking long. How long is it? I got like, be honest with me. Three hours and like 15 minutes. Ah!
long ass movie. You thought Ron was long. Just wait. Oh fuck! How long is it? Now look it up. How long is how long is the Great Seven Samurai? I have to watch two movies in the Japanese language this week. That's correct. <sighs> two very, very, very important movies. Okay. Incredibly important. It's two of the most important. Well, one is like in in, in particular. <sighs> oh boy. Two out. No, I'm just kidding. Three hours and twenty seven minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I could watch like five Netflix shows in that amount of time. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Think of how many subtitles you're gonna have to read. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read for three hours in a row. <laughs> I don't think I've ever spent three hours looking at text. Here's what you should do. Just get it out of the way. It's the first movie you watch. All right. You don't have to worry about it again. Fine. Okay. Well, <laughs> Seven Samurai. It's about to become a part of my life. <laughs> Finally. Jesus Christ. All right. Back next week with a review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and a conversation about Quentin Tarantino in general, I would assume. Um, and until next time, Adam Hall. I think you are filth. I think you are scum. You are a degenerate. <laughs> <laughs>